Hello, and welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Zane Adams. Zane currently serves as the co-CEO and CMO with Fed Up Foods, a public benefit corporation. Zane is fueled by a desire for a deep change that moves us as people in the direction of collective well-being. Welcome to the podcast, Zane. I'm delighted to have you here. Likewise. Thank you for inviting me. It's a deep pleasure. Oh, mine too. I, uh, I've been aware of, obviously, the company for a long time. You're based, you were based, in, are based in the Asheville area, and um, it's a company that's got a fair amount of visibility locally. And I'm, I'm really curious on, I mean, I, I know the product is kombucha and you have a couple of other product lines, which we'll get into, but um, I'm really curious and want to start with your impact. You talk about the company as uh, you called it a force for change in a video that I saw. And uh, you talk about responsible sourcing and manufacturing, engaging movements that address food system and climate change and a culture of sharing. So that can mean all kinds of things. So tell us about what that all means in the context of having impact, being a force for good. For sure. And I think for me, uh, it's always great to give context to it. So when we when we founded the company, uh, Sarah and Janine, who are founders, and I joined about six months later, we came to Asheville for a very clear reason, and that was to create community. Uh, and that idea was pretty simple, um, that if we were going to build a business together, that we were going to use the profits to power the purpose. And really, our purpose has always been to nurture life from a very like uh, vision perspective. Um, and we we set about doing that in you know in not very specific ways i think in the beginning i think we we simply were kind of guiding with our own internal compass our north star the star that says you know we approach people uh from a place of humility uh we take our resources uh for what they are and cherish them and don't squander them um, and we kind of serve each other in our community from a place that says everyone uh, is welcome and everyone is welcome at our table. And so I, I think that's kind of the context from just our own personal lives and how we kind of uh, mm -hmm. arrived here in Asheville. Um, right. And so from that kind of, I guess, value system or that nutrients or, or, uh, or starting point, if you will, uh, we began to... Uh, brew uh, a beverage that we, you know, really believe was something that was better for all of the kids in our community, um, in particular Sarah, Sarah and Janine's younger ones at the time. Um, and then we started to realize that when you create a platform around food, when you have people that are coming up to you in farmers markets or stores sharing their story around wow, I was having a really hard time um, with 
digestion or whatever issue it might have been, you kind of start thinking, okay, what we're doing is important. And we do have an impact in a community that is very much connected to food. And so we started to, in our own ways, uh, put together policies and and uh, really begin to govern, if you will, our work around how we engage individuals, how we engage food, how we engage ourselves, and what that all means in this bigger conversation of we are living on this beautiful planet that is underneath an enormous amount of strain uh, from uh, you know human production of carbon dioxide, but also its cyclical nature and how it has been evolving way before we were ever thought of being. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it impressed upon us then that, you know, we have a small voice um, and we decided that we wanted to take whatever lines of melody and chorus together to actually make something uh, that our grandkids could be proud of. And so that's where our work around impact started. And it's really focused in three areas. Uh, one, we just believe that uh, good food is a human right and essential for every human. We believe mm-hmm. that good work is is a human right and it's good for the human soul. And that permaculture and regenerative farming has got to heal the earth. And those are the three areas that kind of encompass where our work um, has landed over the past 12 years and really it's laser focus for our future. Well, tell us about some specific things that you're doing. I mean, you talk about permaculture, let's just start there because you just mentioned it. How does that fit in with your sourcing and of, of uh, ingredients and, and uh, how you choose to, the, the kinds of ingredients that you choose to use? Yeah, we, you know, when we, we, we created um, our intentional line and uh, which was Bucci Sovereign, Bucci Seed and, and um, now Legacy. Uh, and those are beverages that all have uh, particular medicinal qualities like Earth, Air, Fire, which was our original um, mm-hmm. and nutraceuticals. And so we began to look at our sourcing from a place of if you don't get the right ingredients, you're probably not going to make the most nutrient dense food or beverages or whatever. Um, and so we started to really look at our our sourcing. And, and one example is our sugar. Um, I remember we were sourcing it and it was organic. Um, and then we started to look through the labeling of where the sugar was coming from. And we noticed that it was actually an affiliate or distributive of ConAgra Foods. And only because we have people who are working with us that were like, hey, what is going on here? We noticed these weird initials um, that it came forward. So we kind of dove into our supply chain and said, where else is this happening? And we found a lot. (laughs) We found a lot. We found a lot of consolidation in the organic market that's coming from some of the biggest uh, proponents of modified foods or or what I would call the synthetic alternatives to natural whole and nutrient dense foods that are that are pushing this larger agenda around limiting food to uh, to to baseline 
uh, not even providing nutrition, but just keeping you in this consumption kind of space. So when yeah, we talk about permaculture. Produced, being produced in a non-sustainable way too. Yeah, exactly. And so when you think yeah. about permaculture, we started looking at like, okay, how can we start to do this? So we, the first spot, spot was our sugar. And it took us a while to find um, a supplier that was not only growing organically, but was growing with regenerative and regenerative farming practices, really looking mm-hmm. at not just the end product, but what is it grown in? What's the soil? What's the nutrient density of the soil? Um, how is that product grown? How is How does it come to market? Um, and we shifted our, our uh, supply chain around sugar uh, to this particular provider that's coming out of South America uh, and Brazil in particular. And we started to go deeper uh, around the farming practices. And we found such beauty that we weren't alone in this process, um, that there were people who actually cared about what they were doing and how the food was grown. And so we started with sugar and then we just went backwards through our supply line. And um, it's still a work in progress. We we have always dreamed of having hothouse ginger. Ginger is one of the the largest uh, food crops that we use uh, in kombucha. Um, mm-hmm. And we we started working with some local farmers and then finding out that they could sell the ginger at a much better premium than what we would buy at a whole as a wholesaler. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we started talking to our friends at Eastern Carolina Organics. Um, which is now Happy Dirt. Um, And, you know, from that space, she was like, you know, let's put together a project that allows us to pull in some hothouse growers for ginger that you could use. And so that was probably eight years ago. And we're still in the process now of selecting where um, those hothouse growers can be, you know, what type of products can we bring in. Another good example is we blended in Yapon Holly into our tea blend. Uh, mm-hmm. which is, you know, indigenous to here in the Southeast. Um, it came in at a small percentage, really, because it was harder than we thought to provide a very sustainable source of that locally that also was organic. And then that led us into wild foraging and how do you create an organic product that's wild foraged and all of that process. So it's been very interesting and a big learning for us. Yeah. Uh, and sourcing is now at the heart of, of, of what we do. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, that really speaks to environmental sustainability. And, and I know you're also interested in social impact. So other than, you know, the kind of first level of providing jobs locally uh, in an area where there aren't a lot of larger businesses, are, what are some other ways that you're uh, really focused on social impact? What does that look like for Gucci? You know, it is... Being where we live, I think we have the unique ability to live in somewhat of a bubble mm-hmm. from a perspective of of the world that lives around us. I think that's really unique about the Appalachian Mountains. And I think one of the challenges of the Appalachian Mountains is, is that it is in a bubble and it thinks that uh, the work that it has still to do um, is somewhat... Um, not as important as it should be. And what I mean by that is, is conversations around equity, conversations around all of everyone being welcome and accessible at the table. Um, and that there isn't a, a modality that says, because you don't say this or believe that or wear this or marry this person, that 
you don't have a, an equal social status. And so mm. um, it's been a core part of our business for a long time. And when we've marched in many of the marches um, in a sign of solidarity, but we've always taken the position where we're not so much interested in a, a progressive or liberal ideology or a conservative ideology. We are interested in a pathway that says as humans, here's how we move forward in a way that brings and heals divisions of the past, but then kind of gets us into a place for, being better people. Um, and so some of those have looked like um, partnerships um, in and around uh, issues that are important to us. Uh, some of that is, you know, looking about uh, black and brown uh, communities who are participating in food, um, mm -hmm. but have not had the access to uh, provide the food that they grow into a bigger commercial kind of situation um, right. where they can actually kind of scale that business um, and or LGBTQ AI plus community. Uh, we, we, we tend to show up in places that say the government's great that it exists and the government should also play its appropriate role. And its role is not to be in your bedrooms or in your gardens or in your kitchens. Its role is to create a place of safety and access for everyone. And so we've held that. And so we've we've been in some interesting um, uh, heated conversations, I think, at times <laughs> <laughs> around that. And I always, you know, our, our team is so amazing. We have some of the most diverse people uh, that work for us, um, both in thoughts and, you know, we have people who stand around and hold circle. Uh, we have folks that are uh, deeply connected uh, to their ashram or to their synagogue and folks that are, are in deep uh, prayer every Sunday. So we've, we have a, a really eclectic group of people that are all in our company. And we always kind of put forward a uh, a perspective that says the least of us are the ones who we're most connected to. When you're told that you're not welcome or not seen, we're going to be the ones who see you. And we believe that when you begin to teach that from a from a very culture perspective of, of where you work, and you begin to pivot in the community in a way that sometimes isn't always, um, I would say, popular. Um, but if you hold that position consistently, then when people approach you about, well, where are you socially in these conversations, we can point to that same compass that says, hey, actually, we're not really so interested in the hyperbole at the moment. We're really interested in how people can find themselves greater connected to uh, a bigger amount of work. Um, it's, it's kind of quite yeah. us. Yeah. That's a really interesting approach. And I think a really, uh, not just smart, but a wise one in the sense of, of deep wisdom. And I'm curious, how would you describe the culture at Bucci after hearing that? I, I would say our culture is, uh, <laughs> Um, it is a continual dynamic evolutionary process. No, it, it's, <laughs> it, it's, I, I think we learn the most when we make the biggest mistakes. You know, we call those, um, we don't call those mistakes. We call those opportunities for growth where we are. Right. Right. Um, 
we we realize areas where we are extremely deficient in gaps of providing better training for our team. Um, we put our hands up and acknowledge, well, we don't really know how to do that very well. Uh, but I think the culture is very communicative. We we encourage our team to share their opinion. It's very much where it's a round table. In fact, our leadership circle is pretty unique. Um, just to share a quick thing. I remember we were going to raise money uh, a year and a half, two years ago, and I was on the road pretty much a lot speaking to a ton of investors and <laughs> potential individuals around capital and equity. And uh, we've always viewed equity as a form of energy, just like anything else. And if you pervert it and misuse it, it can do really bad things. If you take it and preserve it and understand it, it can be very powerful ally to your work. And so we had this whole coming to a point of, of talking about that. And what we found was, is that there were a lot of times where purpose was left out of the boardroom and it got us in, right? Like everyone wants to talk about regeneration. Everyone wants to talk about impact in our impact right. community. But yeah. when you talk about numbers, they go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We just need to know what your profit is. I mean, that's nice that you're doing that. Yeah. That's good. But really we want more of the numbers. And in our culture, we created kind of a space where that isn't left out. That, that is the focus. And so like I serve as co-CEO and Janine is the other co-CEO. Um, uh, Sarah, who is a founder as well, serves as our chief ha happiness officer or CPR chief of people. Um, and we have kind of like this King Arthur style round table where we really process the tensions around our business in a really effective way. And we don't move forward unless we have consent. Not consensus, because I think consensus pulls ego in, but consent mm -hmm. to say, I don't necessarily agree with this, but it gets us to the direction where I do agree that we're going. Um, and so we we process our company around that. Um, and we're evenly balanced in that we have three women and three men. Mm -hmm. um, and we we kind of go through that area. So that's part of the culture with us is that we... We definitely don't have a top-down management. Our, our our governance is very much a circle. Um, we have different circles that interact with each other. Um, our employees are very much empowered to build and create policy. And right now we're in the process of really thinking through do how do we bring our frontline employee or representative, our frontline employee into the boardroom as 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 an effective voting member of the board and so mm -hmm. thoughts are around you know you know maybe you know we create this compensation committee uh and we have our employees represented we have that now but maybe we put an employee on the board of directors that's also helping us build and craft policy for the future um, we're now a benefit corporation so uh you know that came about through a culture of lots of communication around how do we want to share this abundance together? Do we become an ease? Do you, are we going to be a co-op? Are we, you know, mm -hmm. how do we unlock the funds that are coming through to fill everyone's pockets to a level of sufficiency? Uh, and that's still an active dialogue that we're we're talking about. And I think we've we've begun this interview process of all these other companies like New Belgium, who's been helpful, and uh, Traditional Medicinals has been helpful. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and as we think about and New Belgium, uh, just for listeners, New Belgium it was an ESOP and is now it was. It was recently acquired by a, a large corporation. And Traditional Medicinals, I believe, is still owner, still it founder is. owned. It is, yes. It's still in a, a kind of in a perpetual in a perpetual trust scenario. And so mm-hmm. each of these models for us is really interesting to learn from um, and to figure out what works the best for our team here and what gives us the most runway to grow. And we were talking yesterday in our leadership meeting, you know, we have about a hundred employees now, maybe a little less. And we grew from people just wanting to help out and we traded kombucha (laughs) for them to help (laughs) us bottle um, to now having to look at, you know, especially in this uh, coming and still living in this coronavirus economy, what policies are going to be effective and useful moving forward and what does food look like in 50 or 100 years and part of that is is how what tools do we make available for creating generational wealth you know our role in that what do we need to make available to our team and what is the best tool for that we can use right now and esops are interesting and exciting but we're finding they're not the magic bullet there are elements of them that are great and there's things that are like, Ooh, that would be not a good thing. Um, <laughs> um, well, it's like any system that it has its downsides and upsides. So yeah, it's interesting yeah. that it's interesting that you're focused on generational wealth, which I think is such an valuable perspective for this area, which has been historically economically depressed. And mm-hmm. even just to start, get people start thinking about, Mm-hmm. that aspect of their financial lives, I think is quite visionary for this area. Yeah. And I think uh, one thing that's, that's been fueling that is we read a book a long time ago called the great game of business by Jack Stack. Mm-hmm. And he created, I think a spinoff of like 70 different companies from his one company. And in order to do that, there is a lot that the team needed to learn. And so every month we still have this farm to table, um, Right now it's in a sack lunch, um, but right. and people are eating outside. But uh, you know, prior to to what's happening now, we would come together once a month and we'd kind of go through our our books. So we have open book um, and a, a kind of an accountability and transparency where all of our team knows where our money is going. They don't know who is getting paid what in terms of salaries. So we follow the law in that regard, but we do show folks, here's what our overhead is. Here's where our debt is. Here's where our profit is. Here's how we're choosing to spend our money. Here's Mm -hmm. why we're reinvesting a million or $2 million into equipment. Here's how we can grow this together. And I think that's the first step in understanding generational wealth. So you can actually see those things. We have packaging line tax. We're not assuming they're going to be packaging forever, but they might be inspired to create a business. And so what we've said to ourselves is, in fact, starting next year, we're going to create a pathway kind of like our own version of, you know, um, come to us, show us your plan. And if we think it's on par and it's, it's following certain cultural pieces that we think are important around open book accounting and accountability and regeneration and sustainability, then maybe we will loan that individual $50,000 to start a business. And then so we'll like tie it. Exactly. Angel, angel investing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so that started us thinking we have a lot of entrepreneurial thinkers in our team. 
and maybe this will allow them to create their own business. But if they don't, at least they have a better idea around money and how it works and and how it can be useful and how it can be hurtful. And so from that perspective, the education is important. And then we follow that up with, we need to continue to pay people more money. That's always been our goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we put more money in their pockets? And then how do we give them tools so that they can use that money to then grow uh, prosperity for themselves in the way that they feel called to use those funds. And so when we speak about generational wealth, we do, we realize it's a long-term process, but what I can say is, is that over the past three years, it's been um, amazing to see the growth of the company. Um, but it's also been heartwarming to see, you know, eight to 10 to 12 employees purchase the homes that they never thought they would ever be able to purchase single family mm-hmm. homes before. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's, and that's, wow. that's important too, from a, a social impact perspective. And, and yeah. you know, as we touched on already, that's, it's not a small, small contribution. Well, yeah. you came into this business in a, in a different way than your co-founders who I know Sarah and Janine were very focused on the product development. They came up with the, the product initially. And then mm-hmm. I understand from an interview that you came into the business looking for opportunities to be involved in a business that you really felt you could mesh with. Mm-hmm. So how, how is that experience of coming into a company that already has a start and, and you're just getting involved and, and more from a marketing perspective, which is your background? Right. Um, you know, it, it was... It, it 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 was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be um, mm. because I, I I always say this you know the heart is a really important thing in a very scientific way your heart is the biggest sensing organ so it will sense when things are off or when you feel scared or when you feel safe or when you feel secure and I really believe that um, when you are in a heart centered space you allow that sensing to inform your thinking brain around ways to navigate. And when I met Sarah and Janine, um, you know, they were just starting to produce uh, kombucha from a test perspective. They were, um, you know, bottling it and getting ready to put it out to the farmer's market. Um, And they're brewing uh, in downtown Asheville off Chestnut. And so I was lucky that I came in at a very, very embryonic stage of the business. Um, But I stayed because I literally fell in love, not only with the two of them, but their families and the purpose at which they had just, you know, inherently had within their soul. And they're like, you know, we want to move here to be in community. We've always been misfits. We were brewing this Janine in Texas. She was like, they looked at me like I was some crazy lady. Sarah, who is in North California, all the in trucked all the way across country, was in Florida and Illinois and these different spots. Same thing for her. Um, and at that point in time, you know, I had arrived from a, a pretty high powered industry coming out of out of living in London for a while and living between there and, and Orlando and developing properties with Universal and all these other groups. And um, I was coming out of that corporate space of, if I die today, do I feel good with what I'm doing? Like, did I actually serve my purpose? And from a very heart space from very sensing space, I could feel that that was where they were. And it rang so true. 
Um, and then our engagement from there pretty much unfolded um, from a from a very resonant space, a very people space, a very like, yes, this is this is what's there. And um, I when I came into Asheville, you know, I was looking for that. I remember my sweet sister and dear, 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 dear beloved friend Rosetta with Rosetta's Kitchen, whom, which mm-hmm. is why we have the Bucci Bar Rosetta's Kitchen, and I just love that woman to to pieces and. Um, you know, I was working in, in and around Rosetta's Kitchen at the time uh, with her and thinking through places and community. And I remember coming up here for years and and being impressed and inspired that in this smaller space that people were coming to this restaurant, not just for food, but to be filled in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, you know, whatever I do in this space, I want it to be from this nurtured root system that says everybody who's interested who's willing to do the internal work and their own kind of you know who am i what am i on this planet what's my purpose kind of way if they show up um i want to be able to help nurture that perspective and whether i'm utilizing business as a conduit to do that or whether i'm utilizing food or manufacturing or built spaces that people can live in however i want to be of service in that way uh, and I think coming into uh, to at that time, uh, Bucci was still thinking of its name and it, it had just decided to settle on Bucci into that space. I, I felt like it was the right moment. You know, it was very fresh soil. Um, and and how do you how do you nurture and grow from there? And it was wildly exciting. And 13 years later, it's still wildly <laughs> exciting. Yeah, I mean, that focus on impact, I mean, you and I share that as a long-term uh, focus on how, how can you do some good in the world, and and uh, Bucci has had that built in right from the beginning, which is great. I'm, I'm curious about, um, I mean, this is from a business perspective, when you have, you started off with kombucha as the primary product line and developed different flavors in that, but you've branched out since into a couple of related product lines, still nutrient-rich beverages, but kefir soda and shrub soda are your your more recent product lines. How do you, I mean, you always want to maintain the success, the integrity of the, the initial offering and not mm-hmm. substantially cannibalize that. How, mm-hmm. how do you manage that or balance that? Yeah. Are they different markets? Are they? Yeah, yeah. no, it's, 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 a, it's a great question. I think, you know, when we think about fermented foods, you know, it's, a, it's an ancient tradition that humans have done for a very long time that really as a method of preservation and as a method of medicine. Um, all of our ferments are heritage ferments. When we think about wine, when we think about beer, all of those are coming from a, from an understanding that you start with one component, you introduce a sugar, you introduce a bacteria, or you introduce a yeast, and it begins to what I call transform, transmute. And when we look at the functional food category, it's, it is the fastest growing segment of the market and kombucha in particular is the fastest segment of that functional beverage space still. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still relatively very, very new from a commercial perspective. Um, but our bodies are really dynamic. Our microbiome is this fabulous, wonderful, uncharted universe that we know very little about. And 
very, very little about bacteria. So as we think about like product extensions for ourselves, we, we kind of go back to uh, a, a pretty basic idea around fermentation that says each of these cultures around the world have been fermenting. Let's understand what these cultures do. And so kefir soda came through that kind of uh, curiosity um, that I think is in our product development team. So we're looking at what is kefir soda, what is kvass, what are these places, what's, what was happening in, in Africa and places, what was happening in Russia and the Ukraine and Slavic countries, what was happening in parts of, of, uh, of the Far East, not just um, you know, South Korea and China and those spaces, but North Africa and India and places of that, Kaspadad, all of these other spots throughout the globe, like what were they eating and drinking and thinking? Um, and so that kind of leaned into it. So each of our product lines come from that. Um, shrub soda in particular was uh, very, very connected to the American colonial experience. And, hmm. you know, they used to drink a apple cider uh, type of vinegar uh, to prevent scurvy uh, when they were kind of traveling between, um, you know, old Europe to the U.S. And so for a very long time, shrub soda, shrub soda was the American, uh, uh, kind of like Coke is today, right? Um, oh, so it, it has a very interesting root system, again, to the culture. So we tend to look at that for inspiration for products. But in terms of the market, um, you know, creating a functional food space on the shelf is something that we believe is a big part of our work. So when you go to, let's say, Whole Foods or Ingalls or Harris Teeter or Trader Joe's or Publix or any of the stores that you frequent, you can go to a section and say, oh, these are foods that are nutrient living, dense foods that also provide a function. And that function is to create a deeper sense of wellness for myself internally. And I think that is essential as we think about the huge amounts of shelves and the tons of products we have on there that actually don't serve a purpose. They're just sugar and water mm -hmm. uh, and coloring and flavoring that is serving a very consumption, basically consume, 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 but it's not regenerative in its space. And so we leaned into private label food production about two and a half, three years ago. And um, last year completed uh, Fed Up Foods, which is now the holding company for Bucci Kombucha. And mm. Fed Up Foods is really driven to create resilience and nutrients from the ground up by utilizing a private uh, label manufacturing platform that says really intentional nutrient-dense food is absolutely possible and accessible and affordable. And so we've been able to sit at the table with some of the largest retailers in this country and have a meaningful conversation around what that looks like. And then over the next five years, our goal is to bring our supply line, our farmers and the makers together with those retailers in really intensive, what I call salons or workshop series that allows them to think about the presence of food in our system. Because those buyers have a lot of control. They yeah. are the ones who determine what gets put on the shelves. And if we can begin to shift them from this highly extractive agriculture-based system to this very regenerative and nutritive full circle experience where now we're eating food that's coming from places where it can sustain 
our need. So instead of having 500 tomatoes that taste like water, you could have 10 really delicious tomatoes that give you the nutrient value of what a tomato should be. That's mm -hmm. a like very visionary thought process. Yeah, imagine I was just going to say that. You know, imagine if we like reduce yield. Imagine if we reduce this idea that money is made by selling more, 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 more. It costs less, less, less. What if we actually costed products based on its nutrient density versus its yield? And it's hmm. a radical concept, but I think, yeah. you know, in order to have that conversation, we had to get to the table. And so private label has given us the ability to actually have some of these conversations uh, and as we move forward in the next five years, they're only going to like, I think they're going to be incredible, absolutely incredible. I've seen the result of it where some of the retailers we work with are reaching out and saying, oh my goodness, I never knew about this and this. I had no well, it idea. Is, it is visionary. And the beverage industry has so many middle people, middle uh, steps where that kind of are have been considered necessary for distribution. And so the, the industry has gotten kind of locked into a very specific way of thinking. So I'm impressed that you've been able to gather retailers, large scale retailers to even have this conversation because mm -hmm. I think it's, it's, it could lead some really, in some really great directions and you're really taking a leadership role in that, which is great. Yeah, I know that, I mean, there's, there's um one thing I wanted to ask you about before we go to the rapid round, and that is I, I heard uh, Janine Boucher, who's one of the co-founders, say in an interview that the choice has been to keep Bucci a lifestyle industry or so their life, lifestyle company, which I was quite surprised by because uh, given the revenue that you have, I wouldn't have considered it a lifestyle business, but the intention is to keep it small in relative mm -hmm. terms. And mm -hmm. um, I wonder about that choice and, and what went into that decision. Yeah, it was, um, you know, in, in particular, we just believe that in order for uh, products to really thrive, um, we think a couple of ingredients are necessary. And, and one of those um, is sourcing. Um, one of those I, I think is brand. Um, and then purpose of that. And we think it all circles around this idea of lifestyle, because if you, if you make an opportunity available to people from the perspective that not only do they enjoy it, but now their kids enjoy it, and then their kids will enjoy it, and their kids enjoy mm -hmm. it, it's really got to fit within a lifestyle modality. And uh, that is, you know, triggered by a whole lot of ways. And maybe it's priced right and it just works for your budget, or maybe it just tastes really good and you love it. Okay. But we like so when, when she said lifestyle, she was talking about the, the brand itself rather than the size of the company. Yeah, I think, I, I think they both play, I think they're interconnected. Um, you know, we think about, um, you know, if we think about the size of, of who we are right now, we're relatively very small, but we've always said we want to be relevant, not the biggest, but relevant in our food category. So that's still somewhat of a boutique kind of ability. And, and I think lifestyle plays not only to the size of the business, but also how the business would, will engage with the people 
um, from a movement forward. And I think if you really want to have a meaningful kind of engagement, it's never going to be really, really, really big because then you mm -hmm. kind of lose what that is. I mean, even our largest player in the industry, which is GTS Kombucha, is close to a $300 million company. Comparative to Coke, he's still a baby. Mm -hmm. So, you know what I mean? So, so I, so I do think there, there is this, there's this relativity around lifestyle that I think is a beautiful yeah. marriage between size and accessibility to people mm -hmm. who are engaging it. Mm, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Zane, I, I always ask people uh, three questions around impact as a, as a kind of a rapid round, quick answer uh, way to end the interview. Are you game? I'm game. Great. What's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? The biggest thing I've learned is that we don't know a whole lot. <laughs> and, and, and that we, we have to uh, check our past with what's really emerging around us. Mm, interesting. Well, the second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? Um, I think I'm still doing it. Um, I, I think I just continue to learn and I continue to, uh, to bring people into my life that are amazing teachers. And not all those lessons feel good, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, right. but, but they're important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the last question is, what's one insight or piece of advice you'd give to another business owner who's thinking, I want to have more impact, I want to contribute more? What would you say to them? I would say, take a moment to go inward and really listen to the dialogue that's playing in your mind. Get clear about what your purpose is and don't be afraid that it's not exactly the most popular or that there's lots of things out there that are similar because vision is what fuels that inner desire for hope. And when hope is nurtured by a deeper sense of awareness of who you are, then all of that will flow in a way that's really, really powerful and impactful. Just show up and ask the question for yourself as a business owner. And when that gets crystalline, I think the rest falls in place. Mm. What a great way to uh, to end the interview. That's um, there was a lot of wisdom there. And Zane, thank you so much for sharing everything you have today about the inner workings of your company, but also the very profound context that you're operating in, not just in the day-to-day -day operations, but also in how you're influencing the industry. Um, so I really thank you for sharing all of that with us. Ursula, thank you so much for creating this platform and your willingness to speak to as many people as possible to talk about that alchemy and that work, even the use of that word. You are brave. And I, I put my hat off to you. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your space today. Oh, well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Best way is you can visit um, drinkbucci.com or... You can just send an email and it's tribe at drinkbucci.com. Um, it comes in and um, uh, believe it or not, we still answer every email <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> so great. not that big. Just let us just reach out that way. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for the work you're doing in the world, Zane. Thank you, Ursula. 
Thank you for joining me. If you want to discover more about your impact, you can schedule a business impact assessment with me. That's 75 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Just email me at Ursula at WorkAlchemy.com to schedule your business impact assessment. It's my gift to you. Join us for more episodes, subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of leaders like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.